If that sound clip sounds familiar to you, then you had a great childhood, spent in front of a large tube TV that was likely built into a cabinet. How convenient and stylish. Although you possibly had a blue couch with flowers on it, or perhaps a brown and orange plaid couch with wooden arms, you likely opted to sit on the carpet so that you could be closer to said TV, just like me and my sister. I imagine everyone is a bit nostalgic for the television shows of their childhood, but I think there was something incredibly special about the shows children could watch when me and my sister were kids and teenagers. There weren't a ton of options for what to watch or where to watch it, but nonetheless, there are a handful of shows that I often find myself thinking about. Nickelodeon made a critical decision in the very beginning to produce and showcase as much original programming as possible. This would prove to be incredibly effective both in the 1980s, which we will discuss in a future episode of the podcast, I'm sure, and the 1990s. I am so grateful that my sister and I were able to watch these shows in what was really the heyday of top-notch programming on Nickelodeon. So with that said, grab your Doc Martens, your stonewashed mom jeans, and don't worry, your braces will be worth it, sweetie. But remember to wear your retainer when they come off. Here we go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, a show inspired by and in memory of my big sister Rebecca and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I'm your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number 47 Tween Shows on Nickelodeon in the late 1980s and early 1990s. Before we get into the infamous and excellent, I might add, teen programming of the 1990s on Nickelodeon, let's discuss a brief history of the channel. Nickelodeon launched on April 1st, 1979. No joke. It was essentially the nationwide version of a channel called C3, which was broadcast in Ohio. The goal was to create a child-centered network. In the early days, there weren't any commercials. Let's fast forward a bit, though, to the late 1980s, where we begin our discussion about some notable shows of yesteryear. In 1989, Nickelodeon released one of their first live-action shows, Hey Dude, a scripted show set on a dude ranch in Arizona. Actual filming took place in Tucson, Arizona. Sets were built on an actual operating dude ranch. The fictional ranch was owned by a New York City businessman who arrived with his son, Buddy, to take charge of the ranch after purchasing it. 
The ranch has several employees, most of whom are high school slash college age, who work seasonally and one older ranch hand. Like most shows aimed at teenagers from the 80s and 90s, the group of youngsters would be friends one minute, enemies the next, attracted to each other in one episode, hating each other in the next, etc., etc. In many episodes, a moment of tension is eased when someone either accidentally or is intentionally pushed into one of the many, many water troughs on the ranch. Hilarity always ensued. Anyways, at the time of the show's run, there were no major veteran actors. They were all sort of unknown newbies. Filming during the summer months was incredibly challenging, as there was no AC on set. The group became very tightly knit as they lived essentially on the set. The show was on for five seasons. David Brisbane played the role of Benjamin Ernst Sr., the ranch owner. His character is kind of nerdy, and it's clear he's new to the concept of managing a dude ranch. He is easily overwhelmed and often wears stereotypical cowboy gear, including a huge cowboy hat. Following his role on Hey Dude, he went on to many acting gigs, including parts in films like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Aaron Brockovich. He has also starred on shows like ER and Desperate Housewives. Kelly Brown played Brad Taylor, a riding instructor and horse trainer. She plays the equally stereotypical wealthy and stuck-up girl who ultimately has a kind side, even if she is a bit rough around the edges. Her character seemed relatively similar to Brenda Walsh a little bit from 90210. Prior to her role in the show, she was a model. Following the series' end, she left acting and apparently owned some upscale boutiques in New York. How very Brad, indeed. Deborah Kelman played the role of Lucy, a ranch hand and supervisor at Barnum Ranch. She got her first modeling gig in a Sears catalog. Impressive. Following Hey Dude, Kelman took a break from acting to raise a family. More recently, though, she's had roles in films like Halfway Home and At the End of the Day, neither of which I've heard of. Anyways, David Lasher played heartthrob Ted McGriff, a senior staff member at the ranch. He often gets in trouble and is also always coming up with some sketchy plan to avoid working, which sounds a lot like uh, Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. Lasher starred in 44 of the 65 show episodes. He was also on TV shows like Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Veronica's Closet, which was led by everyone's favorite Scientologist, Kirstie Alley, and the TV adaptation of Clueless, which was a terrible show. Anyways, Christine Taylor played the role of Melody Hansen, another summer staff member at Bar None Ranch. Melody is a lifeguard on the ranch. Taylor starred in all 65 episodes of the show. Taylor would go on to star as Marsha Brady in the Brady Bunch movies. Odds are, if you are listening to this show, you have probably seen those movies, but if you haven't, Taylor is so good in her own take on Marsha Brady, if you've seen the original TV show from the 70s. She is so freaking funny and embodies that character so incredibly well. She has also starred in multiple movies with Ben Stiller, who she was married to, then I think almost divorced, then reconciled with, apparently, I believe. Taylor has some more recent acting credits like the film Friendsgiving and the TV show I, Carly. Joe Torres played the role of Danny Lightfoot. He is a proud Hopi Native American. He is kind and conscientious, unlike Ted, who he is friends with. Not much is known about Torres both before and after Hey Dude. Rumors have swirled on the internet that he was either a car salesman in New Jersey or that he died of liver cancer. Nothing has been confirmed, but I always found his character on the show very endearing. I hope all is well for Mr. Torres. 
Finally, Josh Teigel played Benjamin Buddy Ernst, the son of Mr. Ernst, the ranch owner. Apparently, he beat out over 100 other young men for the role. His character struggles with a move to the desert. He is from the city, after all, and he's disappointed that there really isn't anywhere to skateboard. I would be frustrated, too. It's okay, buddy. According to his LinkedIn profile, which I located online, which was a really worthwhile use of my time, he is a senior editor and investigator for First Advantage and Backtrack Reports. He investigates due diligence and business history reports. (sighs) Oh, God, I was so bored by his job description that I fell asleep. Anyways, there have been some reunions of most of the cast members of the show over the years, the most recent being in 2014, I believe. You can watch all the episodes of Hey Dude on Paramount+. In 1991, we are first introduced to Clarissa, the lead character on the show, Clarissa Explains It All. Melissa Joan Hart played the role of the memorable character. She had actually auditioned for the role of Six on the show Blossom. Six, in case you've forgotten, was Blossom's quirky best friend in the show. Although she auditioned for both roles, she preferred the character of Clarissa. Thank God. When Melissa Joan Hart was interviewed for the role, at one point she was asked what kind of music she listened to and whether or not she listened to New Kids on the Block, a boy band that was very popular at the time. Hart listed off some classic rock bands that she liked and mentioned that she hated New Kids on the Block. The producers then knew they had their star. The premise of the show revolved around a middle school-aged girl named Clarissa. She would often turn to the audience and talk to them about her life, i.e. dealing with her parents, her annoying little brother, bullying, and uh, zits. She would often break the fourth wall, if you will, in many rooms throughout her house, but most often in her bedroom. There, she was often visited by her best friend, Sam. You knew he was coming because you would hear this. Hi, Sam. Apparently, the producers of the show wanted Sam to be able to enter a scene and hang out with Clarissa efficiently. They didn't want him to have to go to the door, have one of the parents answer the door, then ask for Clarissa, etc., etc. So the idea of having him appear right away via ladder was born. Clarissa Explains It All was one of a few TV series where the lead character was a female who was not involved romantically with a boy. In addition, Clarissa Explains It All was the first Nickelodeon series to have a female lead. Ferguson Darling, Clarissa's little brother, was played by Jason Zimbler. He is often referred to as Ferg Face or Ferg Breath by Clarissa. Following the show, Zimbler decided to stop pursuing acting and instead ended up attending college and now currently works as a software engineer. Ferguson often bugs his sister, tries to eavesdrop on her, etc., and he is almost always dressed in a polo shirt or a rugby shirt tucked into a pair of pleated khakis. Very nice. 
Sam, Clarissa's best friend, was played by Sean O'Neill. Sam is close with the Darling family and lives with his dad, who is a single parent. His mom allegedly left the family to join the roller derby. That's a bummer. But understandable. Or not. He's often dressed in baggy clothes with messy hair and black Chuck Taylors. He tries to help Clarissa look at the bright side of things when she is having a hard time. He's had a handful of small acting roles over the years, including starring in Cop and a Half, a movie that I really liked when I was a kid, I'm not making that up, and which also stars Burt Reynolds. Good lord, was I a dork. Anyways, Elizabeth Hess plays Janet Darling, Clarissa's mom. She and her character's husband are both former flower children. She is a teacher and also works at a children's museum. She tries to eat healthy and sometimes introduces the family to strange foods. Since Clarissa explains it all, she has starred in several episodes of Law & Order. She has also taught acting classes at a few universities in the U.S., including NYU. I wonder if students are ever like, um, excuse me, Professor Darling? Whoops, I mean, Professor Hess, I have a question. Probably not, but you never know. It's possible. Marshall Darling was played by Joe O'Connor. He works as an architect on the show. He designs oddly shaped and inspired buildings. He often referred to Clarissa as sport. Following the show, he had a role on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which Melissa Joan Hart was the star of. He has also had a few small film roles and several TV acting credits, including roles on Friends, Grace Under Fire, ER, The L Word, and How I Met Your Mother. Melissa Joan Hart has been acting since she was four years old, starting in commercials. While she was playing the role of Clarissa Darling, she also starred in an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, which we'll talk about in a little bit, in 1993. Following Clarissa Explains It All, she starred as Sabrina the Teenage Witch from 1996 to 2003. She was then in Melissa and Joey with Joey, whoa, Lawrence from 2010 to 2015. Hart has also gone behind the camera to direct episodes of TV shows like The Goldbergs and Young Sheldon. More recently, she has starred on Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. She won $1 million for charity and gave it to an organization called Youth Villages. They provide support to children and families through services like residential programming, foster care, crisis services, and adoption. Hart married a musician named Mark Willerson in 2003. They have three sons together. Clarissa had a unique style that the costume designer of the show, Lisa Letterer, described as, Clarissa wasn't really a tomboy, and she wasn't really the weird girl. She was always just herself, end quote. Clarissa often wore mismatched patterns, hats, unique earrings, and Doc Martin boots. Melissa Joan Hart has allegedly saved all of her wardrobe items from the show. Ah, there's nothing I love more than the smell of 30-year-old Birkenstocks shoved into the back of a closet in the morning. The show would run for five seasons between 1991 and 1994 and a total of 65 episodes. The show was incredibly popular and sort of ended abruptly. Some people at the network thought she was getting a little too old, but the show still had a wide audience, one that was made up of equal parts female and male viewers. Regardless, though, the show certainly had an impact and it was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Children's Program. There have been discussions over the years around a reboot being created for the Clarissa Explains It All series, perhaps catching back up with her as she lives in New York City and becoming an adult. None of that has ever come to fruition. But if it does, I think we all know darn well that Melissa Joan Hart better be the show's star again. 
1991 presented us with yet another unforgettable Nickelodeon show. Undoubtedly, one of my all-time favorite shows, and one of my sisters, Salute Your Shorts. The show had an incredibly memorable theme song, which I believe is the only theme song in the history of television, to include mentioning uh, flatulence. I loved this show so much that I recorded as many episodes as possible on our multitude of blank VHS tapes. My sister, the artist with impeccable penmanship, would often create labels for me for said VHS tapes. I remember she wrote out Salute Your Shorts on the white JVC label and included a drawing of a pair of, uh, you know, shorts. I watched that tape hundreds of times. The series is set at a fictional camp called Camp Anawana, which is inspired by the all-too-often-used phrase by children, I don't wanna. Can you clean up your room? Ugh, I don't wanna. Please eat your vegetables. I don't wanna. You get what I'm saying here. Inspiration for the show came from creator Steve Slavkin's book that he wrote with Thomas Hill about their experiences as camp counselors in Maine. The original book is called Salute Your Shorts, Life at Summer Camp. Slavkin would serve as Dr. Khan in the TV show, if you remember. That's the camp director who is often heard over the intercom system, but is never seen. Most episodes focus on three female campers named Telly, Zizi, and Dina, and four male campers, Donkey Lips, Budnick, Sponge, and one additional male bunkmate. In the first season, there was an additional character named Michael, and in the second season, he is replaced by Pinsky. Which begs a question, were you Team Michael? or Team Pinsky. For me, I was Team Michael, for sure. He was cuter and less annoying than Pinsky. Plus, he had a normal name. Anyways, most episodes also included the antics of the camper's goofy counselor, Ugg, whose last name was Lee. Get it? Ugg? Lee? Ugly? Yeah. The group often disagreed in many of the episodes, but ultimately came together whenever it was needed. They often had to attend instructional swim, even though we never saw them swimming. They tried to find buried treasure in time capsules, and they competed in sports. One thing I appreciated about the show is that they really tried to find kids that looked like real kids. They intentionally put very little makeup on the kids, and when Megan Berwick, who played Zizi, needed to get braces, they wrote it into the show. Kirk Bailey played the role of Ugg. He learned a lot about solid physical comedy, which he incorporated into this role through the help of the Groundlings, an improv comedy troupe of which Kathy Griffin and Lisa Kudrow were a part of. Perhaps you've heard of them? 
He was sort of a goofball in the show and was always getting irritated with the kids and their impulsive and immature behavior. Oh, God, kids' behavior being irritating? I don't know anything about that. Man. Anyways, in one memorable episode, Bailey played the role of Zeke the Plumber. He is terrifying in this role. Google it. Trust me, it's really creepy. Apparently, Zeke was, you guessed it, a plumber, and he used to plunge the toilets of Camp Anawana. Due to an accident while plunging, he lost his nose and thus his sense of smell. At one point, there was a gas leak, and since he couldn't smell it, it uh, killed him. So he goes on to kind of haunt the camp. Sounds like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? But alas, it was Salute Your Shorts. I bring this up as a testament to how well-rounded of an actor Kirk Bailey really is. That was really the only episode of the show that was creepy. The rest were pretty lighthearted and perfect for the target audience of the show. Michael Bauer played the role of Donkey Lips, part of the dynamic duo with Budnick, played by Danny Cooksey. Bauer actually faced a lot of challenges growing up. His mother left his family when he was little, so his dad raised him and his brother all by himself. They lived together in a trailer park, and thankfully, Bauer got into acting, and the paychecks from those gigs helped cover the family's bills, like his role in the Moonwalker music video, and later, Salute Your Shorts. Donkey Lips's character was a bit of an impressionable and goofy young man who ultimately wants to be friends with everyone, but is loyal to Budnick most of the time. Venus DeMilo played the role of Telly Radford. She was the tomboy of the group, really into playing basketball and tennis and other sports. She was often found wearing a backwards baseball cap and a pair of Chuck Taylor high tops. Coincidentally, DeMilo attended a girls' camp near the exact same location where some scenes for the show were filmed, at the Griffith Park Boys' Camp in California. Megan Berwick played the role of animal lover and environmentalist ZZ Ziff. Prior to Salia Shorts, she had a small role on an episode of Full House. Eric MacArthur played the role of Michael in season one of the show. He is originally from Hawaii, and when he was in high school, his parents sent him to prep school in California, where he went on a few auditions and eventually landed the role on Salute Your Shorts. After the first season, though, he decided he did not want to be an actor. Blake Soper played the role of Pinsky in season two of Salute Your Shorts. He was born in San Diego, California, and was almost 20 years old when he was on the show. Timothy Trevor Eister starred as everyone's favorite nerd, Sponge Harris. Eister started acting at age seven in many commercials. About his favorite dorky character, Eister once said, quote, I was one of the first of what was to become that lovable archetype. Before Steve Urkel and Harry Potter, there was Sponge. Mike, drop. Sponge was by far my favorite character. And what can I say? Dorks uh, love dorks. Heidi Lucas played Dina Alexander, the wealthy and sometimes stuck-up slash snobby girl of the girls' cabin. She is often the object of many of the boys' affection, including Donkey Lips and Budnick. Danny Cooksey played the role of Budnick, the rough-around-the-edges bad boy who rocked a mullet during their first season, with no sideburns, by the way, and looked like Axl Rose during the second season. Budnick is often butting heads with Ugg. Prior to Salute Shorts, he starred in the last few seasons of Different Strokes when he had a perfectly trimmed bowl-cut-slash-Dorothy Hamill hairstyle. It's good stuff. We talked about the Zeke the Plumber episode, but here are a few notable episodes of the show and a brief description. In Toilet Seat Basketball, the campers are going to be playing in a championship basketball game. Whoever wins gets their name put on the winner's plaque, but whoever loses gets their name put on a toilet seat that hangs in the main lodge. 
The team captain goes from Telly to Budnick to Telly, and sadly, the team loses. But this was a common theme during the show, which I certainly appreciated. Kids don't always win, and that's okay. In an episode entitled Capture the Flag, Donkey Lips ends up saving the day even though some of the other campers doubted him because he doesn't move very fast due to his size. He takes the lead during a game of Capture the Flag, rallies everyone with a game-winning strategy, and captures the flag. The final episode is called Anawana Incorporated, where the campers decide to start a birdhouse building company for career day. Once again, the underdog himself, Donkey Lips, takes hold of the company after observing how lazy some of his co-workers are, and he reaps all the benefits. Salute Your Shorts was an incredibly popular show. It was one of the most popular shows, I think, on cable, just in general. Um, but it only ran for two seasons between 1991 and 1993 because production was going to move from Los Angeles to Orlando. The cast didn't want that to happen because many of them were in high school and lived in the L.A. area, so moving just really wasn't an option. Slavkin, the show's creator, was very much against this move as well because the show would have been filmed before a live studio audience, which definitely would have changed its feel. Following the end of the show, many members of the cast have continued to act or do voice work, and some have opted to stay out of the spotlight. Kirk Bailey, who played Ugg, kept his infamous fishing hat after the show ended. He has provided some voiceovers in recent years, for example, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, Big Hero 6, Frozen, and Hotel Transylvania. He has remained close to the cast after the show's run. Michael Bauer, who played Donkey Lips, has continued to act, and in recent years he has starred on shows like CSI and Dark Angel. Venus DeMilo, who played Telly, had reoccurring roles on shows like Family Matters and My So-Called Life following Slayer Shorts. More recently, she has starred in American Crime Story, Veronica Mars, and Cherish the Day. Timothy Trevor Eister has had some recent acting credits like Hopeful Romantic and Say Again Your Last, which is a short, both in 2015, and Bones, the television show in 2014. According to some information I found, he is also a fitness enthusiast and a life coach. Hopefully people will soak up his words of encouragement like a sponge. Anyways. Heidi Lucas hasn't really acted since the mid-1990s when she starred on the Wayans Brothers and Saved by the Bell, the new class. She actually ended up leaving high school during her senior year because she was bullied. I'm not sure if the bullying was focused on her sort of snooty kind of character from Suit Your Shorts, but apparently it was so bad that she didn't want to be there. It was noted that she often felt bad while on the show for her character's cruel comments to others. Apparently, she is currently working as an attorney. Danny Cooksey has done a lot of voiceover work since the ending of Salute Your Shorts on shows like Ren and Stimpy and Hey Arnold. He is also a musician. He's been the lead singer of a few bands over the years. When he got married, Michael Bauer, who played Donkey Lips, and Kirk Bailey, who played Ugg, served as two of his groomsmen. How sweet is that? That's so cute. Megan Berwick, who played ZZ, left acting and went into nonprofit work. Blake Soper, who played Pinsky, continued to act and was on shows like Boy Meets World and Third Rock from the Sun. He has also gone on to play music in bands like Rilo Kiley. Eric MacArthur returned home to Hawaii after his appearance in the first season. He is actually a quite talented baseball player who was being scouted while he was in college, but an injury prevented him from playing after college. He has since returned to Hollywood and works behind the scenes. On April 15, 1992, Nickelodeon launched SNCC, which stood for Saturday Night Nickelodeon. If you were a kid or middle schooler at this time, there was nothing else 
you would rather be doing on a Saturday, believe me. In addition to Clarissa Explains It All eventually appearing on SNCC, so too did a show called Are You Afraid of the Dark? The concept for Are You Afraid of the Dark was originally going to be an old man sitting by a fireplace telling scary stories, but thankfully that terrible idea was scrapped. The creators of the show wanted to produce a sort of Twilight Zone for kids, if you will. And boy, did they succeed. This show was produced by a company called Cenar and was filmed in Quebec and Richmond, British Columbia. The first episode aired on Nickelodeon of all days and was called The Tale of the Twisted Claw. Each episode followed a similar format. A group of teenagers who referred to themselves as the Midnight Society, which I wanted to be a part of, I'm not kidding, would meet up in the middle of the night in the woods to tell spooky stories. They would then gather around a fire and a group member would tell a story. That person would begin by saying, Submitted for your approval of the Midnight Society, I call this story... Dot, dot, dot. The storyteller would then throw something into the fire from a small leather bag to intensify the flames. One source I read said that the powdery substance in the bag was non-dairy creamer. I always thought it was sand for some reason. Not that that really makes any sense, but that's what it looked like. Anyways, after the storyteller named the story... It would cut to said story being told and acted out via different actors for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. Some of the stories were downright creepy, such as the tale of laughing in the dark, where a teen named Josh wants to prove that a haunted house isn't haunted, so he decides to steal, bad idea, a nose from a clown inside the haunted house. The clown, named Zebo then decides to taunt and haunt Josh by playing pranks on him, like putting a pile of dirty used cigars in the bottom of his pudding bowl. That is disgusting. Some other episode examples include Tale of Locker 22, which tells the story of a young girl who has immigrated from France. Transitioning to a new country and a new school has been challenging, especially because her locker is haunted by a ghost from the 1960s. Another episode is called The Tale of the Dream Machine, where a kid who is hoping to become a writer someday finds a typewriter. Whatever gets typed up comes true. The original cast included Ross Hull, who played Gary, one of the older kids on the show. Hull is currently a meteorologist in Canada. Jody Rester played the role of Kiki on the show. She was also Alice in the film Tommy Tricker and the Stamp Traveler, a movie I was really into as a child. I think it was, I think it ran on maybe the Disney Channel. As an adult, I found the movie for sale on DVD, so I immediately purchased it, but quickly realized it uh, did not hold up all that well. That's all right, though. She also, are you ready for this? She also provided the voice for Francine Frensky, a.k.a. my spirit animal on the show, Arthur. Francine was me as a kid. She rocked her jeans And Red Chuck Taylor, she always wanted to play sports, but sometimes the boys gave her a hard time. That was me. I feel so seen. Anyways, that was unnecessary. Ressler has continued to act on both TV and film and is also a musician. 
Rain Pear Cool played Betty Ann on Are You Afraid of the Dark and also provided voice work for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It sounds like she's taken a step back from acting and doesn't have any recent credits on her resume. Jason Alice Sharon played Frank on the show. He appeared in the first four seasons. Following Are You Afraid of the Dark, he acted in a few TV movies like Halfback of Notre Dame and Breaker High. From the information I could find, it sounds like he still works in media, but does more behind-the-scenes type work. Rachel Blanchard played Kristen on the show for the first two seasons. After leaving the show, she played the role of Cher on the TV adaptation of Clueless. She also played Roxanne Richardson on Seventh Heaven. Some of her more recent acting credits include roles in Snakes on a Plane, Fargo, and a TV series called You, Me, Her. Nathaniel Moreau played David for the first two seasons. He would go on to star in Tales of the Crypt Keeper and Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. He doesn't have many acting credits as of late, but he has done some background vocal work in movies. Jacob Tierney starred in the first season only and is the one character on the show who left without any explanation. He has gone on to have some smaller roles in TV and movies and co-created a hit Canadian TV series called Letter Kenny. Are You Afraid of the Dark ran for five seasons on Nickelodeon. Each season consisted of 13 episodes. I know that I'm biased toward a lot of things from me and my sister's childhood, but I will say that Are You Afraid of the Dark was incredibly creative, well-executed, and imaginative. It really spoke to our demographic and spooked us a little bit. I've always been a big scaredy cat. You couldn't pay me to watch a horror movie, but I really loved the ominous nature of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It was a perfect combination of eeriness, but not overwhelmingly so, and it was also just sort of adventurous. The show is praised for the diversity of its cast and the storylines. Further, the characters on the show were dealing with real-life issues facing other young people, including parents' divorce, death, and the infamous awkward and insecure teen years. At one point, there was a movie in the works based on the show, but sadly it was crap. At one point, there was a movie in the works based on the show, but sadly it was scrapped. There have been several reboots of the series, one that ran during 1999 to 2000 for 26 episodes, and others ran in 2019 and 2021. No matter how amazing any reboots were or will be in the future, nothing will match the original. Okay. Anyways. Finally, we will discuss probably my second favorite show on this list, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. The show started as a short between commercials on Nickelodeon in 1989. Production of a full show started in 1993. The show revolves around two redheaded brothers and their misadventures. Both boys are named Pete. The episodes are told sort of like a kid would think, a long stream of consciousness, as described by some pop culture experts. Michael C. Morona played Big Pete, who is middle schoolish age at the start of the show. He is a bit more on the quiet side than his outgoing and loudmouthed younger brother, Little Pete. Big Pete is struggling with getting older and not being a kid anymore, but at the same time wanting to stay a kid as thus still help him be more connected with his brother. 
He is very insightful on the show and says things like, Why is it that when you miss somebody so much that your heart is ready to disintegrate, you always hear the saddest song ever on the radio? Touche, Big Pete. Big Pete is often the narrator of the show, offering us tidbits and thoughts that could be running across the mind of any adolescent. Little Pete is played by Danny Tamborelli, who was a child actor with an impressive resume by the time he was on the show. I'm pretty sure he was in a few episodes of the original Babysitter's Club TV series, okay? Impressive, indeed. Little Pete had a sailor's tattoo on his forearm, a pin-up model named Petunia. Pretty sure that would never fly on TV today. Other characters on the show included Ellen, Big Pete's childhood best friend and periodic love interest, played by Allison Finelli. Little Pete's best friend in the show is named Artie, who has dubbed himself the strongest man in the world and is often found clad in red stretch pants and a matching blue and red striped shirt. And black loafers, if I'm remembering correctly. Artie is one of the few adults in the show that Little Pete doesn't get frustrated with. Little Pete often confines in Artie when he needs help or is having a hard time. Artie is played by Toby Hess. Prior to his role in the show, he had a handful of bizarre acting credits, including films such as Handgun and Zadar the Cow from Hell. They say, don't judge a book by its cover, but both of those films sound um, abysmal. Anyways, Judy Graff played the role of Pete and Pete's mom, Joyce Wrigley. Her character famously had a metal plate inside of her head, and she met her husband, a.k.a. Pete and Pete's dad, Don, when he was using a metal detector one day on a beach and picked up a signal off of her head. There is really no explanation offered as to why she has a plate in her head other than she was involved in an accident during her childhood. In some episodes, she picks up various radio signals off of her plate. The mom's plate was even given some airtime in the opening credits. Hardy Rawls played dad, Don Wrigley. He was in some episodes of Valerie and All My Children prior to this role. In addition to the main characters of the show, there were several appearances by celebrities like Michael Stipe, Janine Garofalo, LL Cool J, and Iggy Pop, to name just a few, really. The show is set in Wellsville in an unidentified state, but the license plates in the show indicate Wellsville is the, quote, sideburn state. For the most part, the show was filmed in New Jersey. Pete and Pete has often been described as one of the most insightfully and endearing children's shows ever written and acted out on the screen. The show's episodes were equally creative, including shows like Inspector 34, where Little Pete becomes friends with an underwear inspector. Soon, Little Pete also becomes an underwear quality inspector, but soon realizes that it's exhausting and unrealistic to be perfect. In an episode entitled X equals Y, Ellen questions the purpose of word problems in her math class, which leads to her teacher questioning her life's purpose. This then leads to several substitute teachers trying to take over the class, one of which who plays the guitar and sings about figuring out the number of pigs in a barn, while all the students try to fight being intrigued by his song, but quickly shut him down. Substitutes have a license to teach. Rumor has it that only one has a license to kill. Whenever there's trouble, he's the one they call. His name? Shrek. They say he crushed the Glee Club uprising of 84 with a bazooka. What would Shrek do to us? Hey, everybody. Today we're going to learn about Algebra 101. Sing along with me. 
number of pigs in the barn. Pigs in the barn. Pigs in the barn. Somehow, the sing-along with Shrek touched a primal chord in all of us. Pigs in the barn. Pigs in the barn. Pigs in the barn. Pigs that we can't see. We couldn't resist its evil power. X is the number of pigs in a barn. Pigs in a barn. Pigs in a barn. Stop singing. Don't listen. Why? You still haven't told us why. X is the number. Another episode is called Grounded for Life, where little Pete digs a tunnel under his lawn to escape being grounded, much to his father's dismay. After what started with 16 shorts, which then led to three seasons and a few specials, the adventures of Pete and Pete sadly came to an end in 1996. Following the end of the show, Michael C. Morona, Big Pete, began working as an electrician for film and TV in Brooklyn, New York. Little Pete, played by Danny Tamborelli, would go on to be a voice character on the Magical School Bus. He'd also star in Mighty Ducks and provide additional voice work to other media like the game Grand Theft Auto. Ellen was played by Allison Finelli. She apparently retired after acting on the show and now works as a physician assistant. Toby Hess, who played Artie the Strongest Man in the World, would go on to do some voiceover work, this time for the show King of the Hill. Hardy Rawls, a.k.a. Don Wrigley, has continued to act following the end of the show, including starring on TV shows like Law & Order and Judging Amy. Judy Graff also continued to act following the end of Pete and Pete on shows like Judging Amy, like Hardy did, and Untold Stories of the ER. In addition to her acting credits, she was also a volunteer in an emergency room and a volunteer firefighter. Sadly, Graff passed away at the end of last year. I was not able to find any additional information about her passing other than she is sadly no longer with us, which I'm sure was a big hit to the stars of Pete and Pete. On a website called Den of Geek, writer Seb Patrick did an excellent job summarizing the brilliance that is Pete and Pete. He said, quote, To those who grew up with it, and maybe a few who've discovered it in years since, Pete and Pete was an absolute delight. Just like Artie taught Pete. The show taught so many of us that we may all be a little weird, but that's okay, because the most important thing is to just be ourselves, end quote. I couldn't agree more. I think that really encapsulates a lot of the shows that we just talked about. I hope you've enjoyed this look back on some of the classic shows from Nickelodeon from the late 1980s and early 1990s. I was surprised at how much information I was able to find on just a few shows. So thank you for your patience with me releasing the show as it took a lot longer than expected for me to put it together, but I hope you find that the wait was worth it. I know I really enjoyed revisiting some of my favorite TV shows, many of which I watched with my sister. If you are interested in learning more about the shows I spoke about and tons more from the best era of television on Nickelodeon, I highly suggest you check out a documentary entitled The Orange Years, The Nickelodeon Story. You can rent it on Amazon, YouTube, and Hulu, I think. It covers the start of the channel through to the late 1990s, early 2000s. It is incredibly well done and very sentimental. It's a must-watch for anyone who grew up watching Nickelodeon or who grew up with their kids watching um, Nickelodeon. Please don't forget that I am doing a little giveaway for listeners who submit show ideas for a future podcast. If you have an idea about a topic that I should cover, please submit it to popcultureretrospective at gmail.com by March 1st. That is just a few weeks away. 
If your topic fits a criteria of the show, meaning something that my sister and I were into as kids and I pick it, I will mail you a few stickers of the podcast logo. So please include an address with your show idea. I hope you'll join me for my next show where we will be discussing some of director John Hughes' most memorable films, as suggested by a friend and listener. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories. Aren't you glad you got your Nickelodeon? Aren't you glad you got your Nickelodeon? You watch it, you watch it, you watch it, you watch it, Nick. Aren't you glad you watch it, you watch it, you watch it, Nick. It doesn't matter where you are, when Nickelodeon land you are. Better off by far, Nickelodeon. Say hey, say hi, say ho.